0: You're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number nine. Today, we are going to be talking to a top producer in Los Angeles. You're going to hear her story, what it takes to get to the top, and what it's like to work side by side with Ryan Seacrest. Here we go you're listening to that's the industry with thomas jordan That's the industry with thomas jordan the podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here for another episode. Today is a very special day. Today, we are talking to Laura Slobin out of Los Angeles, California. Laura is a writer and producer in the entertainment industry. She's worked with big names like Mario Lopez and Ryan Seacrest. What's going on, Laura?
1: How are you today, Thomas?
0: I am doing great. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your super busy schedule. Um, yeah, you've worked with some huge names, just to name a few. But you know, before all that, how did you even get started in the industry?
1: Um, I went to school in uh, New York at NYU for playwriting. I thought I was going to be a playwright and uh, take on that world. And then I experienced the starving artist syndrome, <laughs> and that wasn't <laughs> what I had what I uh, thought it was going to be like. And uh, transitioned into television by through a recommendation, I was connected with. This is before networks had development departments, so E Entertainment Television had a special projects department, and someone had given my name to the head writer there. And I remember I was trying to stand out and be different. And I don't know if this helped or if it was just helped in my head. But I remember I attached a scratcher lottery ticket to my resume thinking like, all right, either way he wins, he either hires me and he wins, or hopefully he'll lose on this ticket and then he'll hire me. And so that at least got it. Got it remembered, and I was hired through E, and I worked at E on all the different shows they had for a long time. Um, again, before they had development, so whenever you know one of the executives said we want to try a game show or we want to try a documentary show, they would go to this pool of writers, and we would kind of branch out and help them launch different shows. And so that's how I got started.
0: That. Uh, I like you're already dropping huge value right there. Um, That is I've heard some things I have never heard lottery scratch. Where did you come up with that?
1: You know, I think I was just knowing that someone was going to have to take a chance on me. And maybe I just had lottery fever in my head or I just was like, come on, the one in a million chance you need a break. And so it just seemed like a fun thing to do. This was also when hard copy resumes was more of a thing. So it's easier to like put in a little something fun in there. Now, when you just send an attachment, you know, you you lose some of that personal touch.
0: It's almost like a play on words and poetic in a sense.
1: (laughs) Well, it's fun. I mean, I I never asked him if he actually scratched it and won, but at least it it got me the phone call. So I would hope that if he won big, he would have shared it with me. So, you know, (laughs) who knows?
0: And what do you think you know what today's lottery ticket attachment would be with your resume and cover letters?
1: Oh, God. I mean, that's so funny. I have to think about that. I mean, I Now, really, when I am hustling for a job or I see something I want that I don't have a direct in on, I often go to Facebook or I go somewhere where I can see who our mutual friends are. And I think the recommendation is the way to go you know, back then I didn't really have other than the person who, you know, made the connection. And it was kind of like precarious connection at best. But now I feel like I know enough people that I can call in some big, big guns to like, make that introduction for me. So that helps.
0: And it helps to drop names like Ryan Seacrest and Mario Lopez.
1: Well, I try not to drop, drop the Seacrest <laughs> name too much. But yeah, um, you know, a lot of my credits are with him. So, um, and I feel like I work really hard for him. And so, you know, I'm proud of that relationship, and I know he's happy. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing it as long as I have if he wasn't getting what he needed. You know, for my work. So, I feel like the appreciation is mutual.
0: And what is your official title with him? And what exactly do you do? Uh,
1: during award season, primarily is when I work with him uh, for the last. 11 award seasons, I've been his producer, for lack of a better, you know, his person doing all his prep, you know, he is the busiest guy. And so I try to distill all the information that's around all the different films and television shows. And, you know, what matters to all the different talent that he may talk to and get it into some format to help him digest it and create his interview content for I think we figured out once it was over the course of our career I think I've done prepped him for about 2500 conversations
0: and how do you prep him for something like that
1: um it starts with we get the list of names uh, or the nominations come out uh we just finished award season uh 2020 and so When the nominations are announced, we find out who will probably be interviewed by Ryan as opposed to the other hosts on the carpet. And we just start digging in and we research the crap out of everybody. We look at, you know, Ryan has a lot of connections as it is through his other entities, whether it's, you know, if somebody maybe uh, has a connection through American Idol or his talk show Live with Kelly and Ryan or his radio show. And so we, you know, research like has he spoken to them in one of these venues and we look at the making of the film and we go back to any past conversations that they've had with either Ryan or other reputable entities and just kind of keep distilling it down to what um, will make for a unique, uh, appropriate conversation in the time we'll have on the red carpet.
0: And is it just you or do you guys work with a team?
1: Um, I am lucky enough now. Um, it, it used to just be me. <laughs> and it's a lot. And now I'm lucky to be able to bring one or two people on to kind of help with that process. And then we have a researcher at, like when we do it for E, who will v- kind of vet all the questions and just make sure they're bulletproof that there's no mistakes anywhere, there's you know, no typos down to like, oh, for example, one time we had, uh, you know, the academies and, the you know, like the the recording academy, for example, they are notorious for only listing certain people for certain nominations. And artists sometimes feel like they're nominated, for example, for song of the year, but really their songwriters are nominated for song of the year. So getting all those little details checked, we do have a researcher who's, vigilant about all of that so that really helps a lot
0: is that nerve-wracking at all because uh, just by you saying that would be super nerve-wracking to me
1: it's terrifying i have to say <laughs> even 11 seasons in you know i feel like my job is to be the safety net for seacrest especially during award season i have to make sure that you know if, if something is if he misspeaks or if i give him wrong information. No one's gonna put me on blast on Twitter. You know, it's gonna be Ryan doesn't have his information right. So he's trusting me to have it accurate. And, you know, I look to the team to, you know, have my back and be at my safety net to make sure I'm giving him the right information. Um, And we even try to look at like, what do the artists think? Like, what are they tweeting? How many nominations are they saying they have? And down to the phrasing. So, yeah, we wanna get it right. He has such a work ethic that we, we owe it to him to make sure that the information we give him is rock solid. So it's, it's scary. Well, we hold our breath sometimes during some of the interviews, like, oh, don't correct him. Like, are you sure? And then sometimes, you know, he knows the facts better than the person he's talking to, which is hilarious.
0: Can you talk about some of the mistakes you may have made during a word season?
1: I have never made a mistake. I will tell you one story that I remember, and this was... This was early on and this is this stays top of mind and that is it was the year George Clooney was nominated for he, he was in a in a movie and he was nominated as a producer of the movie and then this was at the Golden Globes and he was not considered a nominee as producer of another film that he was affiliated on and so Ryan said I can't remember, you know, and this was all vetted and he said, "You were nominated for, you know, you're celebrating 3 nominations." And George said, "Well, actually 4." And then Ryan said, "Oh, sorry, 4." And then they went on with the conversation that looked great and everything was fine. And then I remember he after the interview, he came over and he circled the information on this card that I have and he said, "We need to find out why that happened." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, crap." And we looked and, you know, our information was right. George considered himself a nominee for best picture for this other film that he, you know, the, the, the way the, you know, Hollywood foreign press breaks it down, I guess they didn't see it that way. And so, uh, but so now, so since then we always think about like, what, what does the artist believe what, and then if there's any gray area, we phrase things in a way that, you know, we don't we don't say numbers if we think like they're on a different page than we are.
0: And is he pretty cool about it? Is Ryan pretty cool about like? It, does it really just depend on the mistake that was made?
1: You know, they're very honestly. You know, God willing, I want to knock on some wood here. Um, we that was probably the most significant mistake ever since then, and that was. I want to say the movie was The Descendants. Like, it was a long time ago. That kind of set the bar for us about how seriously you take it. He was very cool. And I feel like he gives you one, you know? It's like you could give him a set of, like, 400 pages of prep. And he, he he's like a robot. Like, he will find the one typo. And you're like, oh, my God. So we quadruple check everything since then. And, you know, I remember he had a talk show... Um, in the early 2000s. And I remember we would do postmortems after every show. And it's not about the mistake. It's about how you respond to the mistake. And, you know, if you keep repeating the mistake, then there's a problem. But I, you know, I know not to repeat the mistake. So (laughs) we stay buttoned up.
0: And can you walk me through what it's like the day of award season?
1: Honestly, you know it it changes i was about to say the day of is easy but then i look back at this 2020 season and it was not an <laughs> easy mm-hmm. you know you know we had the first of all at the grammys the sad uh, news about kobe bryant and mm-hmm. we learned of that on 11 a.m. of the day of the grammys so we're at Staples center and we are prepped and ryan has studied and it typically this is a This is this is my easiest day normally when because it's all on him. He is. I've done all the work. We've, you know, quadruple checked everything. Now it's on him and I'm there just to support and make sure he has what he needs to do a great show. But then when something like that tragedy happens, all that work gets put aside and you figure out how do you respond to the events of the day and how do you change every conversation that you are planning to make it appropriate for the news and also put aside your own feelings about what's going on to make the best show. So that was kind of a crazy day. And then that's only the second time something like that's happened. The other time was uh, when Whitney Houston passed right before the Grammys a couple years ago. So we had already kind of run that, that gauntlet of like, you know, of how to reinvent the show hours before the actual live show, which is which is bonkers. But I guess typically when something like that isn't happening, it's really, you know, morning of, he likes to read the actual newspaper, like, you know,
0: that's a fun fact.
1: Like like crazy. I remember the day of the Oscars, I woke up and he's maybe because the time difference or just because he's a superhuman. But, you know, I look at my phone and like at 6 a.m. I had been getting emails, which I had missed because it was 7.15 and I'm waking up like a normal person. And he was like, you know, read the calendar section of the LA Times. There's a great article about the Oscars. I want to make some changes. And so it was like, okay, call downstairs to the front desk of the hotel, like, is there a newspaper, like an actual, like, how do I get this paper? So that's the first challenge. So then we, uh, you know, and then so when he arrived, we made some changes. But yeah, by this time, he's pretty studied, and he is on it. And um, we make whatever changes based on breaking news or any social media updates. Sometimes people will post that, like, they they lost their luggage on their flight, you know, and so, We just like to keep Ryan informed on stuff like that. So he has, you know, as much information as he needs. And then we go do a show.
0: And I see sometimes if you watch an award show or you see it on like an Instagram story or something, you see these giant thick binders uh, the producers and Ryan are kind of working with. What's in those binders?
1: It's funny because Ryan by the time of the show, Ryan is hands-free. We have developed a system over the, over the years where he doesn't want a card in his hand. I make him these proprietary flashcards, which Thomas, maybe one day I'll, I'll share with you. I'll show you how that. (laughs) I I
0: can't wait. I can't wait.
1: (laughs) You never know. You never know. Um, And so Uh, You know, we start by, you know, he never sees the binder. You know, that's more for for us early on. But we will do our research. We'll work on some questions with some notes attached to like the, you know, the uh, context of the questions. And then he, I usually present him with, say, early on, I'll present him with, say, four or five questions. And in a perfect world, there'll be three that he likes. Uh, sometimes there are none that he, <laughs> he likes, you know? There's sometimes he'll want more information and he'll mark discuss. And so we'll go back and, and, and you know, I'll explain kind of like more, more context. And he's very um, particular of what, you know, how those conversations will go. And then we do these flashcards that we that he studies and he's got a photographic memory and he will absorb it all and make it his own and that's really becomes his safety net. So on show day he's hands free. Um, he's got this uh, these flashcards that we kind of keep handy for study, but really at the end of the day when he's having a conversation it's all him. That's just the you know the back the background in case he you know needs to rely on it.
0: Does he officially like you're saying he does have a photographic memory, like no joke?
1: I think so. I mean, when we, we when we study, um, even the way he sits and the way his eyes are, are looking at the card, you know, I'll hold up uh, a face card of the person and their card. And it, it is like looking at a, a human computer, the way he is absorbing it all. And then he'll say, got it next, got it next. And then you know by show day, that's why show day typically is the fun day for me, uh, where other producers are probably scrambling because their hosts are not Ryan Seacrest uh, and as on it as he is, you know, like he he does all the work on show day. He is absorbed at all, and you know he remembers stuff that even I don't remember writing. I'll have to look back at the card and be like, oh yeah, that was that was the question. I forgot about that.
0: And you talked about creative differences, like if you come up with a handful of questions, and then you ask him, and you guys go back and forth. And, you know, you guys have done all this work. How does it work when he comes at you? And he's like, I don't, you know, I'm not feeling this. Do you take it personal? Or is it just kind of like, uh, or how does that work?
1: You know, it's up. I'm there to serve you know, at the pleasure of the president, which is, you know, he's, I'm I'm there to make him feel good. I'm there to give him the content that he needs. So sometimes I feel like, oh man, this is a great question. This is hilarious. He should do this, but it's his experience. You know, I'm just there to support his experience there. So I have a thick skin and I'd rather him say directly like, no, or give me something else. I guess the worst note is the hardest note is if he'll say, this feels generic. And then I feel embarrassed because I'm like, he, you know, he's right. I could have done better. So it's more, it's not really about his criticism as much as my own, the voices in my own head saying, you know. Step it up. You know, he deserves the absolute best for every person, which gets hard when you have so much to prep for. And especially this past awards season, as you know, was so compressed for some mm-hmm. reason. Just the timing, everything just felt like one show was like two weeks later, there was another big show. Two weeks later, there's another big show. So, you know, at 4 a.m., you're like, OK, these will do. And for him, it's never good enough. I mean, I, that's wrong. It's not that it's never good enough, but you have to he deserves the best that you can provide and so you can't just like give him your your second best (laughs) questions because you're tired you know what i mean
0: it almost reminds me of the movie the devil wears prada when she's just so strict and then they go into that fitting and she you know purses her lips and that's like everybody's you know freaks out because it's devastation that's do you know what i'm talking about
1: oh I totally do, and he, you know what's so funny is he's not he's not that in any way. Um, he's so fair, and he's actually too kind sometimes. Like I'm glad we're at the place where he can just be like like literally X out a question and say need need other questions, and I get it, and I know it's all about taste. Um, Um, and there's sometimes he'll, he'll be like, uh, explain this to me. I don't understand. Tell me about this question and I'll try to sell him on it. And he'll be like, okay. And there's something in his eye that I'm like, he's never going to ask that. Like I've had to work too hard to sell him and dance this, this, this question out that, you know, I'm just like, I'll, I'll see that glint in his eye and I'll be like, I'll give you something else. He'll be like, okay, but he's never scary, you know?
0: The, the, it's actually great to hear. And it's so honestly, it's super motivating to kind of hear you talk about, you know, working side by side with somebody uh, of that level and just the work ethic being just ridiculous.
1: I can't stress enough, you know, people because and because of his schedule, especially during award season and leading up to it, you know, he has New Year's Rock and Eve and, you know, all his other projects I'm working on Christmas, I'm working on New Year's Eve, you know, while he's hosting New Year's Rocking Eve, it's like, I'm trying to get his last bit of prep done so he can, you know, when the ball drops, he has stuff he can look at on his flight, wherever he's off to, you know, for the one minute break that he's going to take. And it's so worth it because I've worked with other hosts over my career earlier on who don't care at the level that he cares. You know, and then they don't study and then they misspeak and then, you know, they throw their producers under the bus. And he's never done that. He owns it. And that's why I feel like I have to do what I can to help him prepare and set him up for success.
0: Have you ever personally asked him how he does it?
1: <laughs> um, I see how he does it. And he does it, he has amazing self discipline. And he has a great team of people who all kind of think, think like this, you know, we're all there to, to deliver our best. So he has what he needs to be successful because it's all cyclical. There are people on his radio shows and his TV shows and in his corporation that we all have the same mindset. And It's very efficient when we're running cards or we're prepping sometimes um, we'll be, say, if we're going alphabetical, we'll be up to the R's, Rachel McAdams or whoever it is, and... I start to see in the corner of my eye, the next meeting, getting ready to be ushered in. Like, so as soon as we hit the Z's, like, you know, I move on and the next thing starts. So he's just got that discipline to like, get it all done, get it all done. And then at night he can, you know, relax and have a life.
0: And I've heard team building is one of the hardest things to do in any industry. Does that apply to you guys as well?
1: What do you, uh, what do you mean exactly team building?
0: Like, t- like, um, trying to put together like a good team, you guys sit, you said you guys all work really well together, whether it's award season, or he's got, you know, his other people who work with him on other shows, um, how it how important it is for everybody to kind of be on the same page and work really well together.
1: I feel like, especially on this team Seacrest, Um, there's a woman named Belinda, who is really his ultimate right hand. And I feel like she has, she's been with him since he was a radio DJ, you know, in the, in the 90s, I think, I don't even know, like, she's been kind of growing with him, and she knows exactly what he wants. And I feel like we all follow her example of trying to respect each other's work and incorporate it together and know how hard it is to do our part because it also affects each other. You know, if he's having a good, a good morning and getting what he needs, it's going to make my stuff go easier and more efficient because we're all respecting each other's time. And I feel like the people that are in the realm uh, now are, are amazing and they all re- kind of work with that same mindset. So even though I'm not on the team with the radio, people or his uh, talk show when I need something, you know, or if I'm doing prep, uh, there are producers on that team that I can reach out to and say, oh, I heard you're doing an interview with Wolfgang Puck tomorrow. Can you send me the notes on that so I can make sure when he talks to Wolfgang Puck at the Oscars, I'm on the same page and vice versa. You know, when we have great red carpet stuff, I'll send it to his social media people or his radio people. So they have fodder for the next day. So I just think it's just respect for each other and all with the same mission in mind.
0: And are you guys ever during award season? Are you guys ever in his ear as well?
1: Um, He doesn't need anybody in his ear. You know, I'm there usually during award season, I'm sitting right there. And we have some fun. I have to say, I have more fun than he does. I think I laugh too loud sometimes. He'll be having a conversation. And I feel like by award show, it is like it is like his dinner party. And these are all guests at his dinner party. That's the way it feels to me. Like, I feel like I'm part of this conversation that he's having with, you know, Sean Mendez right there. Um, and sometimes I forget that I need to be quiet <laughs> and not like laugh or comment back or whatever. Um, but he's he's a mensch, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll look back at me if I have a response and kind of like make me feel included. And I guess the audience feels that too, because that's why he's the king, you know, he's good at what he does.
0: Has there ever been a moment when you've been working with him where you were just like, so impressed by something he'd done?
1: Every single day, honestly, no one can do. I would say recently, the way he handled the Grammys and Kobe Bryant, that news, that nobody... I realized then, I mean, I'm I'm always impressed by, you know, his work ethic and the amount of heart he puts into everything he does. But the way he handled that day to me was amazing. I know that he's gotten to know Kobe on a personal level over the years and he was a fan and it was really hard for him to, I think... Be a host that day and to have conversations about anything else other than, you know, what he was feeling, but he is such a pro and not only was he able to kind of like put his own, you know, emotional experience aside in that okay. regard, but Those tricky conversations where people wanted, you know, we asked people before they come up, do you want to talk about Kobe or not? Because there's some artists, honestly, especially some of the international artists that didn't know Kobe. And so, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that if they had something to say, you know, that we created a forum for them but he did this beautiful dance where he celebrated the artists and their achievements but also welcomed the reality of what was happening and then segue back to the regular content I mean it was it was really remarkable and you know it, it was I think there was a moment during that show and you know meanwhile there's you know there's vigils going on outside and then there's fans of like Billie Eilish who just want to hear about Billie Eilish's music you know they might not follow the basketball. And he, I feel like he served as many masters as he could, even in, you know, the midst of, you know, dealing with his own emotional reaction to what was going on. So that really blew me away.
0: And I know you've been in the industry a while, and I feel like no matter what level you were at, we are always learning. What did you learn that day?
1: There was a moment when we were kind of figuring out how we were going to respond and how we were going to handle the show and there was a pa that was helping named caroline who was very sweet and young and an incredible worker and she was really shook by the news and i learned that i have a job too just like ryan has for like all the all of the viewers you know, helping them through it. It's like, and also to like, keep moving forward. I kind of had to do that for the team. And so he set such a great example for me that when I saw that she was struggling, it was like, I was able to like, okay, here's, we're going to have a talk about what you're feeling. And now we're going to have to put it away because we have a job to do. And kind of like finding my best way to help other people produce their best work, during a time like that. And I feel like if mm-hmm. I didn't have a leader like him, I probably, it would have been more, you know, if he was taking out his anxiety and stress on on us, it would have trickled down, you know, but he set such a great example of trying to like process things that I process things better as a result, if that makes any sense.
0: No, it does. And do you think when he projects it onto you, you project it onto others as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it would be so apparent if I wasn't aligned with him in the way that he operates, like it would be, I I don't even think it would work. You know, if he, he's so disciplined and operates at such an efficient, creative kind of also like heart filled level, like the way he does it, it's like, he's all in. And if I was anything, but like, it would, it would be like shining a spotlight on the fact that I wasn't, and then that would trickle down, you know, to everybody else. So yeah, he definitely, you know, sets the tone in the room, for sure.
0: What's the greatest compliment he's ever given you?
1: Oh, my God, he's very, he's very complimentary. And it always touches me. It always makes me feel great. I'm a pleaser. So I think all producers are to some degree. And um, I mean, he says that I make him better. It doesn't get better than that. You know, when you have somebody who's as great as he is to say that I'm contributing to, to that and actually elevating it. I mean, he just knows what buttons to press because I'm going to work even harder to always make sure I do that.
0: Have you guys shared happy tears?
1: Um, it's so funny you ask that because one of our, I think one of the first bonding experiences we've ever had was he had a talk show in 2003, 2004, and It was called On Air with Ryan Seacrest. It was, I think, like the second season of Idol it launched. Didn't last long. If it was still on, I would still be working on it. I thought it was the greatest show. It was really trying to connect super fans to their idols was a big part of the show. And Rick Springfield was booked on the show. And when I was a kid, he was my guy. And I remember in our pre-pro meeting, I was joking about how I loved him and I wrote him a letter inviting him to the prom, but he never responded. What was up with that? And Ryan and the team arranged for Rick Springfield to show up at my house in a limousine with a corsage. No
0: of. way. It
1: was bananas and it was crazy. And then I, you know, rode in this limo with. Rick Springfield (laughs) to the studio. And they did this package on the show. And it was crazy. And Ryan had my desk moved. Normally, I was in the control room. But he moved my desk to the stage to keep an eye on me. It was so silly. It's somewhere on the internet. Oh, my God. It was the craziest day. When we were, you know, and then he had me come out for a segment to talk. And I started getting emotional about what that meant to me. And he started getting emotional. He's He definitely like locks in with whatever you're feeling in a conversation. And that I think bonded us for life. And I was like, I will never forget that you created this moment for me and I'm gonna do what I can to help you create great moments for the rest of your life, you know? So that was the first happy tears that we shared.
0: And did Rick Springfield serenade you by any chance?
1: Oh my God. Not only that, but here's the crazy part. This has nothing to do with adding value to the industry. This is just adding value to me. But after that show... Rick Springfield and I ha- started having a rapport where we would email each other and once in a while. Like I still will email Rick Springfield and he'll, you know, his team will hook me up for things. My daughter is an aspiring filmmaker and he'll give her permission to use his music in her student films um, that she could enter in festivals and all that. And it's definitely the gift that keeps on giving. And I still have to pinch myself sometimes to say, how how is this my life but you know it all it all stems from i think doing good work if i you know if i was an idiot and not you know adding value to the job early on i guess i wouldn't have been the one surprised that day
0: do you ever take a step back and kind of look at your life and look at your career and just kind of reflect
1: i try to do that all the time to tell you the truth i will be producing content for uh, an iHeart radio concert or event and at Staples center or the forum or wherever we're, you know, on and, and I'll be backstage or behind the stage and I'll look at up the crowd and I try every show or any event to just take a minute and just appreciate that I'm contributing to this joyous moment. I'm not Taylor Swift. I'm not, you know, You know, I'm not doing the lighting that's on Taylor Swift or (laughs) working the soundboard, but I'm helping in my own little way to help make a moment for some fan, typically who's not in that house because they are going to watch this on the broadcast. And I feel really proud. And so I try to do that because I also don't want to leave and be like, whoa, what was that all about? You know, so every show I try to take a moment and just kind of pat myself on the back and congratulate myself for working so hard to get to where i am. i think you have to do that. i feel like a lot of people forget to do that or they just beat themselves up and that stuff, but it's better to, you know, work your ass off and then and deliver and then take a second to celebrate the hard work.
0: With working hard and things like that, did you ever want to quit?
1: Did i ever want to quit? I freelance a lot and there is a great advantage to that. There's some disadvantage which is job security, <laughs> you know, when you are freelancing here, mm-hmm. you're, you're only as uh, employed as as the timing and your connections and the relationships you have and your reputation. But sometimes even that doesn't pan out and no one's hiring at the moment. So that's a scary time in any freelancer's story. But the one benefit of freelancing is I never really get bored and I'm there's always a light at the end of the tunnel for better or for worse, you know, it's either like, Mm -hmm. Oh no. Um, But there's always, so I feel like even when it's a hard gig or I'm like, this is not for me, there's still a bit of, maybe there's a countdown clock in my head of like four more weeks, three more weeks, you know, I take it all in stride. And I'm just glad to uh, be able to keep working and doing the thing that, you know, I know a lot of people would want the job that I have and I got to keep earning it.
0: Yeah, that's why I asked because, like, even you, as you know in the entertainment industry, not—I mean, yeah, it sounds like you had a great start, and like you just you just kept like everything just kept snowballing. Um, and sometimes people's calling comes to them in the beginning. Sometimes it call you know calls them in the middle, and it's just. But even for me, I mean, on everybody's journey that I've talked to, we all I feel like hit some point where we just start questioning ourselves and, you know, wanting to tap out.
1: I feel like that happens for me. The closest to it is when I'm in a lull and I'm not working and I start to get afraid. Like, what if what if the well is dried up? you know, especially in the freelance world, you know, if, for example, if Ryan stopped doing the red carpets, you know, that's 30% of my work year, you know, like what, you know, how would I fill that time? Or if there's ever a lull and things aren't lining up, I think the fear sometimes will get in your head, but I'm really happy. I feel like I get to add value and I get to, you know, even though it seems, you know, it's not quite the playwright's journey that I thought I was going to be on. Um, I feel like I do get to create moments and takeaways and give viewers an experience. And so that fuels me. So it's really the not working is the only time that I'm thinking about, do I need to find a side hustle because you
0: know and we talk about you know you having moments and sharing these moments with people and sharing these experiences it almost sounds like uh sounds like a passion project is is in the midst
1: um that's funny you say that what made you think that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually a little side project that I'm in the process uh, with a production company I've worked with. We're shopping around and I'm excited about, I don't know what's going to happen with that, but that's kind of a new terrain for me to i have pitched a project that there's some interest in. So I'm excited about that, but really, you know, I'm really lucky. I like to work hard and I've fallen in with a lot of different producers and production companies that value that. And so I'm lucky and talent. I get to, you know, I guess I'll keep learning and they're pretty demanding. So Thomas, if I'm gonna work for you, you're gonna to have to demand a lot. You're gonna to have to like, you know. No, sure I'm, I ready for, you I'm ready for I'm I'm ready for
0: it. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's, but then and, then and then we start work. Yeah, you know, as you say, we start working and I'm like, oh man, it's happening.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and then we'll take a moment together, we'll stand backstage, hold hands, watch Taylor Swift and the people, and we'll be like, see, we did this.
0: I'll only work with you if you can get ring Springfield to serenade me too.
1: Oh, I will do my best. Rick Springfield (laughs) is just a text away and we'll get him there. We'll get him there.
0: Can you go into that passion project yet or is it still in pitch mode? Is it still like you give the premise of it or is it still kind of like hush hush right now? It's
1: still in pitch mode. And so you will be my first call uh to celebrate it if it happens
0: when it happens when
1: it I love that oh man um it's just a you know it was just a silly idea that you know I was glad uh, appealed to other people so we're, we're we're trying to see but yeah you know I don't think it's revolutionary as much as it's like oh my god I can't believe that hasn't happened yet so I'm afraid to talk too much about it because <laughs> someone might beat us to it and so far that hasn't happened
0: and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's gonna be big, even though I don't know what it is. Because I feel like when we are super passionate about something, we kind of deflect it a little bit, like oh, it's only this or oh, it's only that. But I don't know. I, I, I kind like, of have a good. Feel, I kind of have a good feeling about it.
1: Well, I like your. I like your enthusiasm. I think at the end of the day, we just. We just need to feel like we're contributing something positive, even if it's something lighthearted, that it is, you know, not adding to the ugly noise that's out there, but adding to the, the joy that's out there. So if I can do that on any level, whether it is just making sure that, you know, my boss has a good conversation on camera or helping to create a show that hopefully people can watch and feel good about, you know. Then, then I've succeeded.
0: And what's the pitch process like? I've heard a few different versions of it. I just, I'm really curious to hear your version and what you've experienced so far.
1: I'm still new at it. You know, this is, it's like I said, this is the first show that I've ever kind of like taken outside of just my head <laughs> to actually run it by uh, uh, an executive at a company that I know and to say, Hey, what do you think of this? And she said, you know, we're drawing up an agreement, let's see what we can make happen. And so a deck was made, a beautiful like presentation. They're working on a sizzle reel now, and she's doing most of the heavy lifting. I'm just praying and lighting candles. <laughs> but my my colleague Shannon is doing all the work, going to real screen and having conversations and I'm just like, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? I unfortunately can't give a lot of insight onto that, but when and if it gets picked up, then I'll try to find out what steps I missed in the process.
0: Is it hard to let go of creative control?
1: It is not hard to let go of creative control, but it is hard to not try to help the process. I'm definitely, I'm not good with waiting and I'm not good with things out of my hands. (laughs) But so that part is is hard. You know, Ryan actually once told me this great quote from a guy named Devon Franklin. If you don't know him, you should look him up. He said um, something like, we are in control of two things, how we prepare for what might happen and how we respond to what just happened. That was like, mind blowing to me, because I like to control what is happening. (laughs) And you can't and just to kind of let that go and just like do what I can to prepare and prepare how I have to to respond or how you know, or respond appropriately when something does happen. So I'm trying to get Zen with that. And I feel like that philosophy has served me also as a producer, especially during award season, especially during you know, when things have to get thrown out at the last minute because, or when it becomes his, you know, when I do all the work and all the research and work on all this prep and that he's in the actual conversation with somebody and what he ends up saying to Saoirse Ronan might not be what I prepared, but it's irrelevant. It's all about the prep. It's all about building the safety net. And um, I think I just went off on a crazy tangent, but if you know what I mean. No, no, it makes
0: sense. I know. I know exactly what you mean.
1: So I'm just trying to prepare and, you know, and set, everyone and any project up for success. And then there's, you know, kind of be okay with letting the universe do what it does and then being ready to respond when it's my turn to jump in again.
0: And we talk a lot, we've talked a lot about work in the entertainment industry today in 2020. I know there's going to be a lot of people, whether they're writers, producers, hosts, but in this day and age, how does one get a job with Ryan Seacrest?
1: Well, you can't because it's mine. I just getting <laughs> but- Stay away. <laughs>
0: Stay away.
1: No. Sorry. You know, I guess uh, you get my job when I don't deliver anymore. But you get a job with him or a job that you really want. One host said to me once, Andrew Zimmer, and he hosts Bizarre Foods, and now he hosts a show called What's Eating America on MSNBC. Um, He once said to me, don't aim to be the best. Aim to be the only. And I really, you know, and what I loved about it's not about competing with other producers, you know, lift each other up, really support each other. If you hear of a job that you know is not right for you, but is right for your neighbor, tell your neighbor, because chances are they're going to reciprocate. And if they don't, then that's on them. You know, you got the karma points, you move on, you know, from there, but work on what makes you a specialist in what you do. And to me, if you do that, then you can work for anybody. Wow,
0: that was that was great. Now, honestly, I think we'll I think we'll end on that note. But uh, if anybody wants to find you online, or if you want to plug anything else, here's
1: your shot. You could find me on LinkedIn, and you can find me usually lurking in the background, giggling whenever Seacrest is doing a video at award season. I'm usually the one hiding behind the card. <laughs> with my head down.
0: Is there anything that you want to say, whether it be advice or anything else that you would like to leave us with today?
1: There, There is, you know, I, I guess, you know, I do have, I have a 14-year-old daughter who is, she wants to be a cinematographer. And we talk about, you know, getting into the business. And uh, luckily she goes to a school where they have speakers come in and we talk about like paying your dues. And The biggest thing that I tell her, and I tell any you know production assistant, anyone coming, coming up, is easier for the person you work for. That's your number one way of getting hired and being the one that gets the call. Because I feel like that with Seacrest, you know, like I am his safety net, and the people that I call when I can get reinforcements, they're the ones that I trust to be my safety net. So keep your eyes open and be looking at what is being done and anticipate what needs to be done. And you know, there was production assistant I once worked on. We were working on a very complicated stage show and there were so many things to be buttoned down. And at the last minute I realized, oh no, I didn't print the host cards because I was so busy focusing on these other four hundred things. And I turned around and she had them in her hand. And I was like, you are going to be my first call whenever I have a role to fill. Because she f- filled in the blanks. So fill in the blanks for the people that you want to work for. And I guarantee they're going to call you back.
0: God, that's, that's some fire advice. <laughs> and I'm glad you went into I'm glad you went into depth with it. Because sometimes I try to get a little bit well, not sometimes all the times I try to get a little deeper than just keep working hard and things will work out. You know, I mean, it's almost that that's more surface level stuff. But uh, that was that was awesome.
1: Well, I mean, you're great. And I think people are lucky to have podcasts like this to, if they take the time to listen and learn, they're just going to be better. So you are making people better. And hopefully, they're people that, you know, you're going to keep encountering when you are in front of the camera. And so you're doing a great service that hopefully will full circle and, and make your life easier too.
0: All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry. I got you covered. In this group, I'm gonna be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm gonna do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.